A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to The Evolver, sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen, hosted by Ken Jordan. How do you get present? Just be where you're at right now. Without distractions, simply breathing and aware. It's the hardest thing. Everything in our society is designed to take our attention elsewhere, dragging our minds into one cluttered corner after another, fixating on what happened yesterday, or obsessing on what you're afraid will happen tomorrow. Fear keeps the mind noodling and takes you away from simple, calm, quiet presence. And then... Because you're not present, you don't notice what's actually happening in the moment, what's really going on in and around you. What's really going on is love. But because you're so distracted, you can miss it. That's one of the beauties of a meditation practice. It's like a breadcrumb trail that leads you back to love. In today's episode, I talk with the comedian Duncan Trussell about his meditation practice. It's a conversation I have been wanting to have with him forever. You can tell from Duncan's podcasts and his stand-up routines that he's dialed in. He's figured a few things out, went through some dark patches, and enjoyed some wild revelations. He's also an insightful, insensitive being who knows how to let you into his own personal hall of mirrors, as well as how he finds peace among all the wavy, wonky distortions. If you're one of the few people listening now who doesn't know today's guest, I recommend that you stop this podcast immediately, turn it off, and go click on one of the hundreds of episodes of the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Don't wait, just do it. Pick anyone at random and let the synchronicity gods lead you to the entry portal that's most right for you. The rest of you know what I'm talking about. It'll be like a Burning Man moment and you'll find yourself having that perfect, unexpected encounter which your entire existence has been leading you towards. And he's really, really funny. Duncan has a way of showing the humor at the center of the things that matter. Humor is such a great door into any exploration of the spiritual. If the cosmos didn't have a sense of humor, human beings would have had to invent it, because so much of what we do, second by second, day by day, is so patently and painfully absurd. All you need is a tiny bit of distance, maybe enabled by an edible, and the seriousness with which we take ourselves starts to evaporate. If you can't laugh at what you see there, you'll be in a pretty funky place. Thank God for comedians. Sometimes I can't sleep. I have a lot going on. It's hard to process everything that's happened during the day. So maybe I manage to fall asleep for a while, but then I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I simply can't pass out again. I don't like the feeling that sleeping pills give me. There's a kind of grogginess that lasts with sleeping pills, a heaviness that messes with my day. So that's just not an answer for me. Evolver is the proud parent of the Alchemist's Kitchen, which we describe as a botanical dispensary devoted to the power of plants. We have herbalists on staff, trained and experienced herbalists, who know what they're talking about. And when I asked one of them about this, she recommended a dream elixir from Anima Mundi. It's a liquid. You take a teaspoon or two on its own, or you add it to a tea, 
It's kind of sweet and has a smooth taste, and I found that it made my nights go more easily. It has a gentle, almost caressing effect that's not like any pill I ever popped from the drugstore. Anima Mundi Dream Elixir is an organic blend of a number of herbs used by cultures around the world to address insomnia, promote deep sleep, and encourage lucid dreaming, chosen specifically for the restorative properties on the hypothalamus, a pearl-sized control center in the brain that directs the body's most important functions. It includes ashwagandha, passion flower, kava kava, skullcap, blue lotus, and more. You can find Anima Mundi Dream Elixir on the Alchemist Kitchen website in the Sleep Better section. Go to thealchemistkitchen.com, there's an S in there, and if you have a question about an issue like I did, you can click on the Ask an Herbalist link to find out what herbal remedy might be right for you. Or stop by our spot in Manhattan at 21 East 1st Street and talk to one of our herbalists in person. Say you heard about The Alchemist Kitchen here on the Evolver Podcast and get 10% off any herbal remedy. What does the word spirituality mean to you? Ah, yes. So I think of it in terms of becoming, spirituality means becoming ourselves. Or another way to put it would be letting go of all the things that aren't us until there's nothing left to let go of. And then what's left is spirit or soul. So it's letting go. Spirituality is a... And a, a pro, appears to be, and it's a process of letting go. It seems to be a never-ending process of letting go. And every time we let go, we get we feel what we really are, which is love. Another way to put it would be, it's the process of reminding myself to come back into the moment, which is where all the love is. So when you're letting go. What do you feel you're letting, what have you discovered you're letting go of? So let's talk about Jesus. Well, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Jesus and the, and the rich man. A wealthy man comes, up, comes to Christ and says to him, I want to be your disciple. Can I come with you? And Christ says, yes, just give everything you have away and then follow me. And the wealthy man says, I can't do that. So I, sometimes when I hear that meatloaf song, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. And I think that that story is about how the ticket price is the thing that you're clinging on to the most. And that's different for everybody. For me, it's been various things. My attachment to my identity as a stand-up comedian. Like I had to, for example, stop doing stop doing stand-up comedy for maybe three or four months, which is the longest I've gone without doing it for, for the longest time, because I was feeling that I wasn't being honest and I wasn't reflecting how I actually felt and what, what I thought was funny, that I was doing some other person's version of stand-up comedy that I used to be. So I had to let go of that as my identity for a little while to see what would happen and really let go of it in the sense of thinking like, oh, you know, I just won't do it anymore then. I'll be a podcaster and I won't do that anymore. And... Um, because I did that, now when I'm going on stage, I can. it's like fun again, and I love it, and what I, my writing has gotten better, and it feels really good. So there would be an example of letting something go. Another example might be um, jealousy. 
has been a real issue for me in my life. So um, I'm now in a polyamorous relationship where, uh, which if I, I, if you've ever been in that situation, you know that it is a ego demolishing experience in the sense that you have to really be be able to like let go of trying to control someone. And, and a lot of people, I think, confuse love with submission. You know, they think if someone's doing, acting the way I want them to act, that means they love me. Or if someone is following these rules that I have, you know, and for me, that's that's been a, 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 a soul crushing nightmare for me is jealousy. So experimenting with letting go of that part of my life and not trying to control someone I'm deeply in love with has been letting go of something. And every time I, you really do it, not fake letting go, but every time you let go of something like that, where you're stuck and your mind is telling you, if you do that, it's going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And it's always the best thing that ever happened to you. It's always that you become more yourself. You know, instead of being this being carrying these bags full of rotting carcasses down the highway of time, you, you start lightening up, lightening up, lightening up. And the lighter you get, the more you feel who you really are underneath all those festering bags of rotting flesh that you've been hauling through your life pretending that it's your identity. But when you feel so close to those festering, rotting bags, and you feel like that's who you are, how do you know that it's something you need to let go of? What is it that lets you understand that it's something that isn't really right for you, isn't really you? When do you know the difference between the thing that's really you and that that blockage or that hurt or that heavy thing that's that's holding you back? You know, it's not a confusing, at least for me, it, it's, it's not very confusing. And, and I love to apply what I've been taught, which is there's really no rush here. So for example, let's say you have a, you've put down the garbage bag filled with the old coyote heads that represented your addiction to video games. And let's say you've put down the other like bag of like gizzards that represents your not apologizing to someone in your life that you deeply hurt and taking full responsibility for your actions. But you've still got like a little fanny pack of like just moldering monkey fingers around you that represents something that you, you just, you're, you're still stuck on. You know, if you don't want to take that fanny pack off, leave it on. You don't, there's not a rush. Just like know that that's what's happening. That's mindfulness. It's just to watch the thing like, oh, there it is. Oh, that hurts. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I'm trying to control. I'm attached. I'm trying to impose myself into this situation. I'm trying to be the one who's running the show here. Okay, well, I'm going to do that for a little while. And it hurts. Because of that, you feel compelled and, and enthused from the inside to start letting that thing go too. And then there'll be another thing and another thing. And it's a process. It just goes on and on and on, potentially for infinite lifetimes, I would imagine. But you're your sense is from your own experience that there's a moment where when you notice one of those things, when it shows up, addiction to video games, you go through a moment to begin with where you're thinking, I just love video games. Yeah. This is like the best thing ever. ever. And I don't need to stop. And it's like, oh yeah, it's only been 72 hours since I got in front of this game. I'm not getting up from the couch. Yes. And then something pings for you. Something hits and goes, you know, there may be something else going on here. 
Is that a body feeling? Is it a mental feeling? Is that a, is that, you know, you, do you hit a, you hit a rut or a crisis point around it? Or is it sometimes, are there other ways that it begins to present itself as something for you to become, you know, to change your relationship to? Yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, you know, when you're, like when I was addicted to World of Warcraft many years ago, and sitting playing World of Warcraft for you know 15 hours straight, not taking showers and contemplating pissing myself rather than get up to go to the bathroom. It's not as though it's a big secret if like something that you're attacked. I, I don't think it's so. I mean, I, well, I, that one that one is a particularly like kind of more obvious one. Let's just say for a yeah. lot of people, it's like okay, there's certain things that you know are like yeah, they're fucking with you. They're not healthy for you. As you were talking about, you're in a poly- polyamorous relationship. You're talking about it as something that you've needed to let go of. There's there's something you're letting go of. It's yeah. a painful process, right? Yes. So you're noticing this thing for you that is a letting go to get to something which is lighter in your own life. Yeah. And so I just try and understand a little bit more about for you, how do you know that you're actually in alignment with the thing that's your higher self, that's the place where you want to be present? When are you not trying to convince yourself of something you think is good for you? When is it delusion? When is it delusion? When are you deluding yourself? Totally. And how do you know? That's the question. Maybe you don't. Ah. Uh-huh. And this is why I love mantra meditation, because what, so, and, and one of the things Jack Kornfield, when he's teaching mindfulness, he talks about it like your top 10 playlist on the radio that your, your mind produces, the thoughts that your mind produces. So the way he puts it is the mind produces thoughts in the way the tongue salivates. So the mind produces these thoughts and, and these thoughts are, for many of us, reoccurring thoughts, you know, like, and, and it's, a, it's a pattern. Like I have friends, for example, who are nervous about their career. They wonder if they're going to be successful or they wonder if something's going to if or or maybe they're dealing with jealousy uh, about their peers they feel like oh other people are more successful than i am or maybe they're dealing with the fact that they have been dishonest to their lovers and they and and they know that and and they're hiding it And, and or maybe they're dealing with the fact that they weren't kind to their parents when they died or maybe they're you know whatever it may be and these thoughts come up and so you'll notice that they they reoccur. There's like a, a and, and the way Cornfield puts it, it's a playlist. It's like a playlist of things that we get stuck on, right? And so I love chanting because uh, what I do is I chant uh, Hare Krishna on a, on mala beads. And so what'll happen is the thing will come up. For example, I'll think, I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe maybe like maybe you're not funny. Maybe you shouldn't be going on stage. Maybe. This isn't your bag. And like, you know, some deep neurotic soul crushing insecurity like that. And so what I'll do is when that's coming up, I'll watch the thought come and then I'll chant to it. And I'll sing to it. I'll sing to it because it's like a crying baby. And we sing the mantra to this crying baby and we sing to it. And, and that's it. It's not as though, oh, let me fix this right now by changing the thought or by coming to some definitive way of being or by doing this thing or that thing. It's just the way I've been taught is we trust the process. Um, And for me, that process, the practice is chanting. And I've noticed that the more that I do that, the more that those reoccurring thoughts begin to soften and soften a little bit more and become a little bit less serious and a little less 
prone to make me reactive and to go into some neurotic spiral where three weeks later, I suddenly come to and realize I've been up in my head for three weeks. So who knows? You know, who knows how how deep the delusion goes? Who knows how deep it goes? I mean, when you read like heavy Buddhist texts, like Chogyam Trumpa, for example, it feels as though like anytime you think you've reached a place where, oh, this must be it. Oh, no, you're stuck there too. Anytime you're like, oh, no, 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 this is it. No, stuck there too. So that's very heady, you know? Whereas for me, it's like, I really love simplicity, which is just, oh, I'll just chant to this. And I'll remember my guru, Neem Karoli Baba, and bring him into my mind and chant and bring him into my mind and trust that what's happening in this very moment is exactly what needs to be happening even if I don't understand it or am resisting it. But you experience it in a way as, a, as this process of letting go, there's a softening around the thing that's coming up that feels so obsessive yes. or challenging. Yes, right. an expansiveness, a space. It gives a space around it, you know, so that in, in, when you're really stuck in a, in a modality of being, you know, really stuck, like you're angry. I don't know, have you ever gone through an angry phase? Oh, me never, no. <laughs> But you know the angry phase, like you wake up in the morning gritting your teeth. Jaw uh, hurts. Your jaw hurts. Yeah. Your, your insides feel like either like just completely numb or just like coiled up. And you're angry. Someone hurt you. Something happened. You're angry. And if you get caught in that, it, it, it's so tight. And it's so, you, it's, you're so stuck deep into it. You, you are it. You've become it. So this is kind of like a process of, watching it and producing a little bit of space and breathing through it and producing a little more space and chanting to it and producing a little more space. And then suddenly you're cradling it, you know, instead of it holding you in a headlock, you're now cradling it. And then suddenly it's not such a big thing. It's just part of you. It's part of a, of a, of, of the constellation of aspects of yourself where you're stuck and, and, and a, great vast galaxy of things instead of being this burning sun of suffering and that is a that's that's it does it go, is it gone no but it's it's certainly not what it was when i was deeply being ground up by it but the, it can go when you say is it gone these things can leave eventually those things those blockages those sources of frustration those things that trigger you you find that they can actually lift through this process? I have found that they, for me, that they have softened. You know, I-, I, I Are would, you still really into World of Warcraft? Oh, that's a good point. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not anymore. And I, but I still play video games. I just don't play them obsessively. I just don't really like, I, I just don't, I, I enjoy them from time to time quite a bit. But what, what, ha what the really beautiful thing about a practice is, you don't have to fake it. You start being attracted to certain ways of being naturally. You know, instead of like, I'm going to like become a vegan, start doing yoga, start going jogging, apologize to my friends, st wake up early, take a cold shower, take all the right vitamins, do all the right things, prepare for a marathon, and then I'm going to go to retreats, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. And all these things that I'm going to do, it's all, all that, st all that stuff, you, you, you don't have to, you don't have to force it. Now, this is like the behaviors that people assume are part of being 
It's the way people torture themselves by being like, oh, when I do this and that, and then I'm gonna do that, and then I'm gonna do this, and then I'll that, and that, that's just all the mind. I'm gonna do that, and then we'll do that, and then we'll do this, and I'll read this book, and I'll read a hundred books, I'll read a million books, I'm gonna read a million fucking books, and go to a million seminars, and a million retreats, and a million things I'm gonna do, and a million stuff, and that's all the mind. And you just sit and watch that. That's what you can do. And then through that practice, or whatever practice you gravitate to, whatever's calling you, and it's different for everyone, Suddenly you'll begin to to like actually think, oh, I think I just want to go for a walk and chant. And it'll be a real impulse. Or you'll be walking down the street and think, I am so happy to be alive right now. And you might actually, you know, say like a secret prayer. And this is one of the things I really love in Christianity is Jesus quite often will say, pray in secret. You know, and, and, I've, and I've gone through different phases with Christianity. I always wondered about that. But it's like, yeah, I get that suddenly something will bubble up just between you and the entire universe. And in that moment, you'll express something and it will be so sweet and wonderful, but it'll happen spontaneously. Now that's not to say that you can't fake it till you make it. It's just don't torture yourself by trying to become the Dalai Lama tomorrow. You know, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a process. And it's and, and as Ramdas puts it, it's a process that's happening in the now. This is not. This is it right now. Right. Well, there's nothing. At. There's nothing else but the now. That's it. Yeah. This is it. This is it. And we keep rem- reminding ourselves of that. Okay. Oh, right. Right. This is it. Where I'm at right now. The angry person. Okay. I'm angry. Oh, I'm scared to die. Okay. I'm gonna be scared to die now for a while. I'm just gonna let myself be scared to die. I'm not going to try to fake being not being afraid of death. I'm not going to, I'm just going to let this, oh, I'm jealous right now. All right, I'm jealous. I'm just going to be jealous for a little while. It's like exactly right wherever you're at. And, 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 and that is the process of letting go of where you think you should be versus where you are. Being attached to the version of you that you imagine would be the perfect version of you. It's a lot about forgiving yourself and accepting yourself. In yeah. that moment, yeah, wherever the hell you are, that's right. Whatever the hell's going on, yeah, right. for sure. And so, for you, when you're doing your meditation, you do the chanting every day. I do it all day long. I carry these beads all day long. Oh, really? So, I, and always in my mind, it's Ram. Like Ram, the, Ram, describe Ram. The, those those beads. Those are mala beads. Well, these are mala beads. How many you got on that string? Oh God, I'm. You know, I'll count them in a second. I, there's a there's a you know they it's like a it adds up to 108. You know, it's like if you get a if you like the there's heart, not 108 on those. No, no, no. Uh, it's a multiple of that. I have to keep track of these. You know, it's very easy to lose mala beads. You know, and I have to keep track of them. I need to be in the present moment with these, and I have to like because I'm a very very very, very disorganized man. And I remember when I was going to these Ramdas retreats, they give these beads at these retreats at the end of their retreat. I've gone to many of these retreats and every single bead that I ever had, every, every mala, I, I lost, 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 lost. I was losing them. And I started getting paranoid thinking to myself, oh, this must be Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba's way of rejecting me from the satsang. Because if, if he really wanted me to, if he was truly my guru, I would never lose these beads. And I remember saying that to Ramdas, and he looked at me and he goes, that's superstitious. And to have Ramdas tell you you're being superstitious is really, really hilarious. And he was right. That's awesome. I was being superstitious, but not only was I being superstitious, the reality was I wasn't keeping a daily practice. Because if I'd been keeping a daily practice, I, I really wouldn't be losing those beads because they'd be in my hand all the time. They'd be near me all the time. And I'd be doing what my teachers were telling me to do, which is to have a daily practice. Now. 
They're not telling me you need to meditate all day long, Duncan. Their 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 teaching is more just work on yourself, work on yourself, and be and trust the process, and don't be in a rush. But it right now where I'm at with it is I have these beads, and they stay in my hand, and as I'm when I'm remembering in my mind, I'm hearing rom 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 rom. Ram, 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 ram. That's in my mind, you know, and 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 that's that's reminding me of the moment and of of my soul. So you have them on your night table when you wake up in the morning. You grab them first thing. Is yeah? Do you have a or they'll be in my pocket or I'll you know it depends on what I was doing the night before. But do you, when you start the day, is there a particular practice that you do to kick the day off, or do you just do this kind of like while you're making your coffee? Yeah, I I, I so I wake up. I'll have I'll grab the beads and I'll maybe I'll walk the dogs. So I'll go walking the dogs around the the neighborhood and I'll have the mala beads and I'll be chanting, you know. And it's not like you do it really loud or crazy. It's a very silent whispery thing. People you didn't even know I had them in my hand until just a second. You don't make a big show of it, but it's just like and you're just doing this and you're just coming in and out. It's like so the mantra is happening, but then your thoughts will take over. Oh, fuck, man, I need to get to the hardware store. I got to get more Swiffers. I got to, you know, that kind of stuff. Or holy fucking shit. I like basically abandoned my mom when she was dying and let my brother take care of her. Holy fucking shit. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? What is wrong with Ram, Ram, sing to it. Ram, 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 I did that. It's true. I did that. Hare Krishna, 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 Ram, Ram, back to the mantra, back to the mantra, and then back into the moment, back into the moment. And then that's it. And it's just an it's a it's a never ending process of going in and out of the moment, in and out of your thoughts. So when you're doing that, do you feel something in your body? It's make it, it's like I feel my heart, and and in the best moments, sometimes nothing. Sometimes I won't feel anything at all. Sometimes it'll just seem like kind of like absurd, and I'll just be like, "What are you doing? This is ridiculous." And then sometimes I'll feel this feeling in my heart, and it'll be my heart opening up, and and. And I'll and in in those moments I'll feel love and I'll feel very connected to that moment. I'll feel so good. It'll feel so good. And Hare Krishna, you chant to that too. So you feel when you say you feel your heart. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you had that experience? I that question is interesting to me because sometimes I'll you know the way the mind wants to quantify first times. It's really funny. Do you remember the first time? Well, I only asked that because I remember the first time I had that experience. When it was in an ayahuasca ceremony. Okay. So like, cool. Oh. I didn't know I had that heart. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. It was like, boom. It was like, oh, that's interesting. And yeah. somebody was helping me with that, actually. Yeah. And was working with me. Yes. You know, and it was like, I became, I came into an awareness that something was going on there that I had been cut off from. Right. And then it was like, okay, I want to cultivate my connection to that so I can bring it back when I haven't drunk you know, a glass of a really sludgy brown liquid. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So I'm just curious for you whether there was a moment where you went, whoa, I didn't really know that might be there. Well, I remember when I was a kid, like really, really, really young, I was standing in front of my grandmother's house with my mom and there was flowers and I remember smelling the flowers and feeling like this incredible feeling of just how beautiful the world is. And that was probably the first moment that that I, I really felt, you know, that I remember feeling my heart. There have been, you know, different moments, you know, 
it comes and goes, you know? We, and again, th there can be attachment there. We start getting attached to that feeling of the heart, the feeling of love, the feeling of this, the feeling of that. We start getting attached to that too. And, and then with, when, what comes with that is, a, 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 for me, would be the attempt to try to like reproduce that experience, you know? So for example, once when I was meditating every day, I was sitting, I was meditating and, and, and it was like I, I merged into the entire universe. I felt like I became everything. It was the most beautiful feeling. And, and after the meditation, I was like, wow, that was a transcendent experience. I really did it, man. I really did it. And I'd think about that. And then I'd be sitting and meditating and I'd be thinking about that experience that I'd had. And I'd be like, well, that's not happening now. I'm just fucking bored. This sucks. My back hurts. What am I doing? This is stupid. I want to get up. This is dumb. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and I, so then I went to, I was talking to my friend uh, who you probably know, David Nickturn, and he's an amazing meditation teacher. And I was telling him about this experience and he said, okay, well, let's, Talk about that experience. What did it feel like? Was it malleable? Was it solid? Was it soft? Was it hard? What's it like? What were the qualities? And he was walking, he was like really getting me deep into it until I realized like, oh, that was nothing is what that was. That was just another thing. And I was stuck on that. And now I was attached to that moment and that was long, long gone. It always just comes back to like, well, I mean, if, you get lucky enough that your heart chakra suddenly opens up and you're weeping tears of gratitude for your existence in the universe, then that is wonderful. But if that's not happening, that is wonderful because this is it and this is great no matter what version it's taking. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. But both things are true, right? What's going on is what's going on. And losing yourself and accepting that, letting go to that, flowing with that, that's what is. And so not giving yourself shit because you're not in some other state, what's the point? Right? Yeah. That's one thing. But it's also true, what I found, when I, you're talking about, is that the human body is capable of having these experiences. Yes. That honestly, I think a lot of us until we've had those experiences really don't think that they're possible yeah we think oh no that's it's right. like you yeah. know i know it is to be a human being yeah it's kind of mundane i have some orgasms i do some coke i can have these high moments right yeah. but for the most part the body only goes so far then when these things start to emerge if you're doing a certain kind of practice you're having certain kinds of epiphany experiences yeah and then whoa your heart has just grown a bunch and you're feeling it and you're feeling some kind of light coming through your crown chakra 
some wild stuff is going on. It signaled a massive shift in my sense of what it is to be a human being. Yes. And what I want to be doing in the world. Yes. And what everybody else is capable of. Yes. There's nothing special about me. If I can do it, everybody can do it. Yes. I'm wondering how that works for you. Is that Did that have some kind of, I mean, when you started to feel that, what was that saying to you about who you are? So there was a really great moment at one of these retreats because I, I, I'm, I'm lucky and they like, they like, I get up there and I'll interview some of the speakers. These and, are like the Ram Dass retreats yeah, in Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah, you go like every year? Yeah, I go down there to interview them. They let me interview them on stage. Let me do these podcasts down there. So I interview them and they've seen me go through all these different phases, you know. One of the things I was doing that I used to do a lot as a comedian, I, I, I would think to myself, this is just didactic schlock and it's not cool at all. It's not fashionable at all. It's just not cool. That's my ego was having to deal with coming into contact with a type of experience that I'd heard about but didn't really believe was possible. And so then to begin to have that experience and realize that to convey this to some of your skeptical or cynical friends it, it would is going to be met with some like pretty serious eye rolls maybe it's it's your, it's your ego you know and so during these interviews i would sit up there you know and i'd interview them and and i and and i'd be skeptical with them and i think that that was fun like it's fun for them to like they like the skepticism it's actually kind of healthy to have these conversations with skeptics. Yeah. Because you don't want to just take all this stuff for granted and you don't want to... Especially if you're they're real skeptics. Right. Real not not. But if you're just, faking being skeptical right. and you begin... You've, not cynic. You've, you don't want to be cynical right. about it. Being skeptical means skeptical asking, is okay. asking good questions. Well, if you're feigning anything for the sake of seeming cool, then you are fundamentally uncool. After like one of these talks... This teacher, Lama Suryadas, came up to me while I was eating breakfast. And he's a ordained Lama. He's been ordained by the Dalai Lama. And he's a great teacher. And he came up to me in a Hawaiian shirt. You know what I mean? It's easy to forget the training these people have been through. They're wearing anyone in Hawaiian shirts. It's the same thing with like UFC fighters. You know, you get around a UFC fighter and they're the sweetest people ever. And you forget like it's you're sitting next to perhaps one of the most deadly people you've ever met. And this is, this is the same way with someone who has a practice like this. You know, these are they, these people are similarly deadly in the sense that they will annihilate your ego because they can they they've been trained as part of their practice and they know when the right time to do it is and the way to do it. And if you're open to it, specifically if you're open to it, they're not going to like go around annihilating ego. It sounds so dramatic and ridiculous, but if that is part of the dharma. And as part of being a compassionate being and seeing where someone's stuck and probably suffering. So I remember he came to me, he's like, may I offer you some constructive criticism? And it's a llama. So you're like, yes, please. And he's like, you know that thing you're doing up there? I can't remember exactly the word, way he put it, but what he meant was that thing where you're pretending to be skeptical. Right there, it's like, you see, oh, you see right through it. You see right through it. And he says, you know, in 15 years, what that's going to seem like? And I'm like, no, what? He's like, that's going to be like when you see videos of people in the 60s being like, grooving, man, I'm hip to that. Right. He's like, you're doing, he didn't say it, but what he was saying to me is you're being fashionably cynical and you don't believe it. And he was, it was just a bullseye. And when you get those kinds of bullseyes. Bang. Bang. It's not like you're going to suddenly transform 
But now the light has been shining. He held a lantern up into a part of myself that I thought was a secret. And, and then once you see it, you're like, oh, of course, of course, of course. When these things, when you, it's very exciting to realize it's real. And I think maybe part of the joy of the thing is starting off thinking it isn't real. And, you know, kind of going into the thing like, like you know, with your fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson, Carl Sagan, hyper skeptic Richard Dawkins mind. I'm going to get in here and I'm going to show everyone about how this is just a bunch of absolute horse shit. What, the Hanuman Chalisa, a monkey god, really, come on, a guru, Neem Crowley, oh, he's disembodied, oh, so you're saying that there's a, he's transcended, he dropped his body, and now he's some eternal transcendent presence that you can make contact with that will dramatically and radically bring massive waves of grace into your life, whether you deserve it or not, but I'll listen, you, you, know, you know what, I'll listen. And then you're like, I'm listening. And then you start softening and you're softening and you're softening and you're softening. And then suddenly it just happens in little moments. And then those little moments extend to longer moments. And then suddenly you are in a place that you thought you could never be because you thought after you smelled the flower when you were a kid and went to school and got the shit kicked out of you and experienced all the pain and sorrow and got hardened down and bittered up and numbed down, you thought that's what life was. And then suddenly you realize I'm smelling the flower again. This does happen. And in that moment, you walk into paradise. It's a really beautiful thing. And I'm, and this is why we've, we're so grateful for our gurus and we're so grateful to our teachers and we're so grateful to the lineage. And we're so grateful to the beings that are not in bodies right now, but are spreading the Dharma and the beings in the future that will spread the Dharma and the beings all around us that are spreading the Dharma, even if they don't know it. And so there's a great sense of gratitude to that community, to the Sangha, you know. Your guru has been disembodied. Yes. Have you ever, did you meet him in a body? Never. But you experience it as a presence, him as a presence. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question. And, and uh, yeah, yes, 100%, yes, yes. I walk with him, I chant with him, I sit with him. In fact, when I'm not experiencing him, I don't think it means he's not there. I think it just means that my filters are up. You know, so that so, but always, always there and and always just always there. And so for a lot of folks, for me, for much of my life, right, I would hear that and they go, oh, my God, what a projection. What sure. do you <laughs> what, sure. what do you think you're doing? Yeah. Like, yeah, OK, maybe you're feeling something. Maybe you're having some kind of experience. But that one's a big one to leap to. But at the same time, I got to say, I have my own engagement with the disembodied have come to this as well in my own life. Yeah. Not an easy thing to talk about with other people. Can you talk a little bit about your own process of how you, like, how did you first connect with that teacher and become aware of that teacher as a disembodied spirit working with you? So the, um, I'm gonna like tell the story to, to help understand, help maybe people understand one idea I have of how the, the mind kind of works like a player piano, which is that, Player piano, 
you put in that weird like braille looking sheet music and the player piano is going to play a song. But the player piano is going to play a song based on the keys and the tuning of the player piano. And that's the song it's going to play. You know, that that thing that it's playing, maybe it was written for a grand piano, but this is like some old beat up player piano. Maybe it's missing a few keys or maybe some strings are out of tune. It's going to play the song, but parts of the song are going to be out of tune. But it's come into contact with this sheet music that is like producing, that is like activating music within the thing. So once I was in... New Orleans, and I had a dream at this hotel. Uh, at the time, uh, with the, I, was, I was seeing someone, and I had this dream that a body bag fell out of the sky in front of this tent in the Arctic. And I got out of, I got out of my tent and unzipped the body bag, and there's a, um, a, a, a corpse in there, and it looked like one of my friends, and there's a note in the pocket, in the corpse's pocket, that I pulled out and it was a note to my girlfriend saying, I always loved you. You can't understand how much I loved you. I had to do this because I loved you. And I read that and I got really jealous. I'm like, fuck you corpse. You're hitting on my girlfriend through suicide. This is ridiculous. That's how dreams work. And then like this confused corpse opens its eyes. It's confused. It's looking at me. It's groggy. It seems confused and I like escorted it out of the Arctic. I'm like, I'm taking you out of here. And then suddenly we're in some kind of like record store is what I thought it was. So that night we're sitting at the bar at this hotel and I say to the bartender, do you know any like ghost stories? This is New Orleans. Like, are there any ghost stories you know? And she's like, oh, I'll tell you the story the hotel doesn't want us to tell. Would you like to hear that story? Yeah, love to. And she's like, well, during Hurricane Katrina, there was this couple and I think it was a boyfriend chopped up his girlfriend. And I believe he put her parts of her corpse into a cooler. And then he went to that hotel with a suicide note in his pocket and he jumped off the hotel and killed himself. And so what happened is I'd come into contact with that energetic field in the same way a player piano comes into contact with whatever music gets put into it. And my brain using the memories that it had inside of it summoned up a kind of rough approximation of that being. The friend I thought he looked like, or the friend when I, it was my friend that I saw in the body bag, but then when I looked at the pictures of these this couple, it looks very much like my friend, but my brain didn't know what this guy looked like. So it produced the closest approximation that it could. Our mind deals with what it's got, right? So when I was in college, I remember opening up be here now and seeing a picture of Neem Karoli Baba, having no idea that was Ram Dass's guru early, who that was. And I looked at him, I thought, oh, that's, I think that's, that looks like my uncle Jimmy. Like that guy, that looks like somebody in my family. I know that guy, you know? And I never thought about it after that. I never really thought, but that was my brain first registering contact with this being only, and my brain was saying, oh, that's your family. And that's your satsang. That's your family. But from my the way my I didn't even know the word satsang then. I just knew, oh, it's my family. What I found is that smart people are incredibly polite. And my experience with my guru has been a better way to put it is is very graceful in the sense that I'm shown what I'm ready to see, you know. And it's a very sweet dance that we're doing, and it's not really based on like blowing my mind. It's really quite simple and normal and and sweet and yet it's the bottom keeps dropping out where just when you think oh there's so much love in my life now there's so much love there's so much love 
oh, this bottom drops out. And then it's like more, there can be more. There's, oh my God, oh my God. That's, that's the relationship that I have. And those moments, of course, are segmented by returning to my patterns and returning to anger and returning to, you know, and that's the dance. Was there a moment where your your sense of yourself shifted because you became conscious of or connecting to these disembodied energies, not just your guide, your teacher, yeah, others? I think of these things as metaphors. I think of them as kind of like, yeah. you know, dreams or whatever, but then well, maybe there's actual presence there that's outside myself. Yeah, 100%. And, and what's great about it is they, they, they are metaphors, they are dreams, they are stories. On one level, it's just a pretty puff of air, but that's not the only level it exists on. My life completely transformed when I began to open up and realize that what I'd formerly thought of as one toke over the line jibber jabber from wishful thinkers was in fact a fairly accurate map of a layer of the universe that I had been turning my back to out of not fear of ghosts, but fear of love in a sense that I didn't deserve anything more than the suffering I was feeling. The fear was keeping you from connecting to it, but as it started to make itself apparent, as you started to notice that, did you shift your orientation in any way to become more consciously cognizant of these energies? Aside from, you already mentioned your guru. Clearly your guru is a guide working with you, really constructively helping you. Yeah. You surrender towards that energy. Yeah. You surrender your, you let go of those blockages, those things that are keeping you from resonating with yeah. that energy at a high level so that you know where you are in highest resonance with that teaching, with that yeah. awareness. But there are other energies too. You can start to become more sensitive to them. Sure. As you develop that capacity in yes, your life. Yes, that's right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if there's a particular type of that energy that you maybe became particularly more sensitive to, aware of at a certain point in your practice, that it started to pop up, that it became something where you were able to engage with it. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, sure. Sometimes things will show up for sure. And, and, say hello and and you and and it's just like everything else you just you hang out with them and you feel grateful for the presence that they're there and you love them when they're there and you listen if you can and then and then and then, and then you just the process keeps going in in my life i don't want to be attached to people i don't i think that's a pretty aggressive thing to do to a person is to become attached to them. I, and, and I'm not saying that I don't, I'm, I'm very attached to many of my friends. I mean, I recognize the attachment, but as much as I can, I try to let go, let go, let go with people. When you say let go, you mean to not be grasping. Yeah, yeah. To allow some, some, some space. Right. But not to not feel love or not to feel connection. Well, I mean, this is one of the things I love that Ramdas talks about being in love. And what he says is I'm in love, like I'm in love right now, I'm in love. And if you wanna be in love with me, that's wonderful. Let's sit together and both be in love together. But I don't think you're the love nipple that is producing love in the universe that I have to suckle upon to get love. And many people think that about their lovers or their friends, and that's why they become so deeply attached to them because they've made a great mistake. 
that I think gets summed up in the Bhagavad Gita and the verse, he who is attached to the flowery words of the scriptures is like a person who drinks water from the well when it flows everywhere. And so in the same way, to become attached to a person because you think that they're a source of love is to become attached to the cup that's holding the water and that you're drinking while you're standing in the cleanest, clearest, most delicious, beautiful water that's ever existed. That being said, because I'm more surrounded by embodied entities than disembodied entities, or that's what I'm seeing and connecting with, that's who I work with mostly. And should my mom show up or should a being show up in my practice or should I become aware of the being and make contact, I just do the same thing that I try to do with people, which is to listen and stay open and listen to them and be in the moment with them too. Was there a, a moment where for the first time you had that sense of, oh, there's that thing out there. That ain't me. There's that thing out there. It's making contact with me. What the fuck is that? Are you asking if I've ever smoked DMT? I was going to get to that. <laughs> um, I mean, totally DMT, these things can appear. There's all kinds of psychedelic experiences where these things can appear. It can also appear because you're having a powerful meditation practice and you're developing a sensitivity and you're noticing these things, right? My, my practice is to sort of, and I, you know, I love, because I'll sit with Raghu, one of my teachers, and I'll, I'll, in the old days especially, I would just just rattle him with questions about Neem Crowley Baba. Like, oh, so is he a time traveler? Is he outside of time? Does he, can, is he, is, is right now, is he still alive at some point in the time-space continuum? And blah, 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 blah. And Raghu will say to me, I don't know. And then he'll say, I remember he said this to me, he said, and I'll never forget the moment he said it to me, we work on ourselves so that we can help the people closest to us. These bigger questions are, for me, of a type of wonderful recreation, where, and it's inspiring, and I love to think about it, and I love to wonder about it, and I love to think about the astral plane, and I love to like read Crowley and, and magic and think about the Enochian angels and the various realms and the various beings and the, many guides and the all of these things are just recreational activities that my mind loves to think about and it's fun to think about but um i don't make that the the my main practice because my main practice is to chant ram 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 and try to get into my heart when i've hurt someone i love out of my selfishness or my egoism as quickly as possible, I try to identify why I did that and who I was when I did it and to make amends with them. And that is what I try to do. And I know through that practice, perhaps at some point in some incarnational cycle, I'll get to have the darshan of some disembodied, hyper-intelligent being or be on a spaceship or something even un more unimaginable than all of that. But if I'm on the spaceship or in the darshan of some enlightened being or a million enlightened beings, then I think I'm still going to be going rom, 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 and try as much as I can to open up my heart in those moments. That's it. It's about presence. Yeah. It's just pay attention to the moment, 
open perspective. When you're going, when you're doing the chant, what else are you noticing around you? Are you paying particular attention, maybe to sounds or to visuals or like what what you're note? Like what you, are you? Do you feel like you're quote unquote kind of just like quietly in yourself while you're walking around with this, it's, it's or like, are you really more present? to the peripheral aware to the peripheral it changes stuff. it's never one thing it's changing just, all the time it's always changing it's just it's like a constant it's a it's a it's a it's a process so it's always changing it's like no specific things happens or stays the same it's just a sometimes it's like my god how beautiful sometimes it's like ah oh, this is fucking annoying how, why why are these people why have these people stopped walking on this hiking trail the fuck is why how could someone stop walking on a hiking trail on a beautiful day how dare you stop and enjoy the beautiful day what the fuck is this you know like oh and then you know it's it's that it's like it goes back and forth it goes back and forth so there isn't some specific um thing that is maintaining its form over any given period of time it just is a seems to be a process. And you got the beads in your pocket all the time, so you can come back to it anytime during the day. Do you have a cue to remind yourself to like go back to it? Is there something that keeps that gets you back into it? Well, fortunately for me, not to completely be the biggest hypocrite on earth, but I've become very attached to these beads. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's an attachment I don't feel like severing just yet. So, um so yeah they they do remind me but then also around my house i have pictures of my teachers and that reminds me and i'm really lucky because my lover is uh, is and i are, are we we are we both are, are working on waking up together so we help to remind each other and i'm very lucky because the people in my life are many of them are teachers and are working on themselves so they'll help remind me too so there's a lot you know what's that great movie memento it's like that, mm -hmm. you know, it's nice to have around your house all of these pictures of, for me, it's nice to have around the house pictures of awakened beings because it's a, a it reminds me, it reminds me. And, and so uh, that, that helps too. Has your meditation practice changed the way you think about psychedelics? Has it changed your relationship to them? Yeah, I think it has. It certainly hasn't made me love them any less. Psychedelics are a fundamental human right I think they're one of the many flowers growing off of the mind of God, and I'm so happy that they exist. But if you take a psychedelic during a time in your life when there's work to be done in the marketplace, in the sense, or there's work to be done in your personal life, that, or there's things that you're ignoring that you don't want to look at, and there's rooms in the house with doors that you've been desperately trying to padlock, and you don't want to admit, this is not the relationship I'm to be in. This is not the job I'm to be in. This is not the appropriate way to treat my friends. I have been doing things that are violent, that I've been pretending are not violent. And if you're not ready, if you aren't ready to accept seeing these things, then psychedelics can be a very, 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 very harsh teacher, which is what where the bad, what, what people call the bad trips, that's where it comes from. Thank God for the practice, because the practice then will let you connect with psychedelics in a way that's truly like working with them and use them as a way to deepen your practice. But just in the same way that you shouldn't maybe be attached to some beads you shouldn't be attached to the psychedelics either. You know, it's just one of the many ways that we learn to open up to the moment. Do you feel that the psychedelics and the kind of meditation practice you're doing are basically parallel paths or they're working together or they're going to the same place? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think all things that are happening in the moment are, are, are bringing us all to the same place. And not to do like everything, everything in a lazy way. I, I really mean that like, abs- I do not stigmatize psychedelics. And I know in some spiritual circles, they're considered to be an intoxicant and they're considered to be sort of like something you shouldn't do. But I don't see it that way at all. I think that they're a sacrament and I think that they're um, really quite beneficial to a, to a person's practice in life. And that there's lots of information out there for people that they can gather to learn like the right ways to do it. And, um, and we're finding out more and more about what's happening in the brain with them. And yeah, there, I think there's no reason to think that um, the, the two can't go wonderfully well together. Did you find that the psychedelics actually can extend your practice in some way that's beneficial for you without letting go of the attachment that somebody might have to them? For your own, for yourself, doing psychedelics, has that been something that you feel is really valuable in your practice? Yes, 100%. I mean, I consider it part of my practice. It's non-separate from the practice. How often do you do it? Psychedelics? Yeah. Oh, I don't, because they're illegal, you know? Oh, well, no, but if you were to do them, how often would you want to do them? Well, I mean, I think it's it's something that if somebody was going to do do this, then it's it's you, you have to be very, very in tune with when it's time and and know when it's time to do it and when it's not time to do it. You have to really listen, and you'll know. And you'll know when you're fooling yourself too. And if you're doing them while you're fooling yourself, well, that's okay. But just know that when you're doing them, you're fooling yourself right then in the sense that like, there's maybe another thing that needs to be dealt with. Why haven't you written that letter yet to the person, you know, that you hurt? Why are you waiting? You know, there's all these, you know, I'm not saying one 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 has to come before the other. I'm just saying there's, a, there's something I've heard, you know, so, and I don't know too much about shamanism, but I've heard you, some people will go to these ayahuasca ceremonies and the shaman will be like, no, I'm sorry, but it's just not the time now because they're, they're listening to the, to the, the universe and like they're listening to when it's time and when it's not. It's, I think it's a similar practice. Do you tend to do your own kind of preparation before doing psychedelics based on your practice? Has that informed the way you think about your own use of psychedelics? A long time ago, I had come home drunk and I was angry. And I, I think I'd had like a shitty set on stage or something, but I just was feeling belligerent. And, um, you know, I'd smoked DMT with a friend and they, we'd gone through this whole beautiful prayer about the, and it was all precious and it was all precious. And I'd heard about it, the fasting and the, you know, the, 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 what, the dieta and all these things to do leading up to the, the, you taking the substance. And I was being like this drunk, belligerent, like, and I, and I was thinking to myself, fuck all that bullshit. What happens now that I'm, you know, doing this bad thing? I'm drunk. And what happens now when I smoke this precious DMT? Let's see what happens if I go in, in here all hammered and pissed. And like, what will happen I'm, when I go in there? And I did it. And what happened was I entered a field of love. And the field of love in the way that psychedelics talk to you, even though I don't, that's probably the long, wrong words for it, smiled and said to me, you think you can do something wrong. That's awesome. You know, you're the one thinking that. You're the one carrying this darkness with you into here. We love you. You are loved. You are loved, you know. So 
that's the one of the great teachings that I've gotten. That being said, treating anyone that you invite over to your house with respect is a wonderful thing to do. And it's and and and, and you know, if someone shows up, it'd be nice to get drunk with them. But it's a little weird if you're fucking hammered when they come to the door, isn't it? Like hang out together first, you know? So I, I, that's my attitude with it. I have a great deal of respect for that realm and the teachers there. But I think the teachers there are very advanced and they love us. And one of the beautiful things about grace is that it, com- it comes to us, not because of something that we've done or haven't done. It comes to us because it loves us. We are loved. And I don't believe that it's a conditional type of love. So it comes to us right now in the moment. That's beautiful. Duncan, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on on the show. What an honor. Thank you, Ken. I want to thank Duncan Trussell again for being on the show. Check out his podcast, The Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and tell your friends about it. Seriously, it should be the most popular comedy show in the universe. Maybe it already is, since we don't see the stats for podcast listens in other dimensions or galaxies, but at any rate, it certainly deserves to be. And I want to thank you for listening. We're getting a lot of wonderful and positive response to this series since we launched, and your comments and feedback mean a lot. We're learning from you what's working and where to improve. If you like what we're doing here, please post a comment to iTunes. Those reviews really make a difference in terms of how many people we can reach. You can follow us on Instagram at The Evolver Podcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. Remember to subscribe to The Evolver on iTunes, Acast, or on the podcatcher of your choice. And our email is theevolver at evolver.net. Thank you to our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the Acast team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album The Secret Song, and our interstitial music is Sunu by The Human Experience in Rising Appalachia from their album Soul Visions. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. Find the others. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.